0: The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Good morning, church. Good to see you all today. Let me just get set here. I invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Titus. As we began last week, a short series in this um, short epistle that Paul wrote near the um, end of his days. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but uh, I hope this week. Uh, if you were here last week, we talked about maybe reading it every day or listening to it every day. Uh, I'd like to say I did that, um, but I didn't, okay? I, I, I probably, uh, there were probably about four days that I went through it, and, and uh, even uh, as many times as I've, as I've read this and studied it, you know, I still find new things come across my, my mind. But we're, we're going to be in Titus chapter 1 today. Uh, verses 5 through 16. So I'll go ahead and read the passage, and then we will um, we'll pray and we'll dive in. Verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put re- what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure... All things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny them, deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Lord God, we thank you for your word, which you have promised will abide forever. I pray, Lord, that uh, that this word today will be implanted in our hearts, in our souls, that we may... Know what you have for us here that it may exalt Christ, that it may exalt the truth. Lord, speak to us. May it today bear fruit 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold as you see fit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. 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 Okay, well today um, today we're going to talk about establishing Christ's church. As we mentioned last week, uh, Paul, uh, the letter to Titus was likely written after the events of the book of Acts. Scholars believe that uh, as the book of Acts ended, Paul was in house arrest, but then at, for a time, was released before finally uh, being arrested again and, and uh, put to a martyr's death. But in that time that he was released, he likely went out and um, conducted another journey to preach the gospel and establish churches. And um, uh, hopefully went to Spain, as was, was his uh, uh, heart's desire over and over, as he said, um, but at some point, he comes to the island of Crete, which um, is just south of Greece. It's in kind of the middle of the Mediterranean Sea there, and you know we're not exactly sure did he did he work, did he establish a church, or what? But the thing is, as we read here today, he left Titus there to establish it as a church, to put things uh, into order. And as we said last week, the letter to Titus is written to us um, so that we would establish the church in the right kind of living, the good works that are consistent with the gospel. We talked about that a little bit last week, but I hope if you have read through the book of Titus several times this week, I hope you've seen how many times... Paul mentions good, good works, goodness, holiness, purity, um, godliness, all kinds of words like that, adjectives of that nature, because that's what he's trying to establish. Now this is intended, even though it's a letter to Titus, it's intended to be read by the entire church. And the reason I know that is because in the very last verse, the very last phrase, Paul says, grace be with you all. So he's he's indicating that he wants this to be read. Now, here's what I think he's doing. As we read, he says to Titus, I left you in Crete to put things in order and uh, and to appoint elders as I directed you. And what Paul wants everyone to know is that's Titus's job. So when Titus goes around now and starts appointing elders, the people won't think, well, who do you think you are? Who put you in charge? Uh, Paul did. The apostle Paul. Okay, that's who put me in charge. And, and this was the mandate that, that he was given. So, um, as I said, written to be read by all. And, and so there are some things that we all, whether we are church leaders or not, um, things that we can learn, things that we can uh, understand. First point I have today, if you're a note taker, and it's gonna be a little strange because I only have two main points, but each of those has three subpoints, So that's a total of six. So. Set your watch. Uh, 12.30, is that okay? Everybody good? No, we'll try to get through it quickly. All right, number one, uh, what you need from the church. What you need from the church. And the first thing that you need from the church is orderly leadership to follow. We see this in verse five. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remained into order... And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now what, what Paul is saying is, and there's maybe even a little bit of a, a nudge or a rebuke here. He says, I'm reminding you, this is why I left you in Crete. So maybe Titus is not fulfilling it quite as quickly as he needs to. Put what remains into order and appoint elders. Finish what we've started now, this is taking place uh, approximately 30 years after Pentecost of, of Acts chapter 2. Uh, uh, yes, Acts chapter 2. And by this point in time, the gospel has been spreading throughout the Roman Empire and churches are being established. And there's, there's getting to be a maturity in the order and in the structure of the church, and basically, the New Testament gives us two offices that every local church ought to have, and that is elders and deacons. Now, the deacons are meant to be um, to kind of meet the material needs and just the, the here and now needs of the people of the church. It has its roots in Acts chapter 6, where certain... Uh, uh, Certain widows were not being fed properly and were not being cared for. And so the apostles um, uh, appointed, or actually the people kind of appointed, uh, people that were trustworthy that could look after that because, and this is the most important thing, so that the apostles could focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. And that's probably the most important thing about that whole incident is the importance of God's Word and how the apostles were going to pay attention to that. This later, that role later is passed on um, not in the authoritative apostolic sense, but is passed on uh, to the elders. And it's the elders who are to be the, the caretakers, to be the ones focused on the Word of God, on teaching, on prayer for the church, and so on. So we have these these two um, offices, so to speak, elders and deacons. Now there's a similar passage in 1 Timothy, and I invite you on your own to, to look at that, where Paul talks about the qualifications to be an elder or an overseer, and also the qualifications to be a deacon. And both of those lists are fairly similar. They're both related to character more than skill. But the one skill that comes up and is unique to being an elder, and that is to be uh, able to teach, proficient in the Word of God. This is God's design for the local church. And so what you need from the church is orderly leadership. You need a sense of order. Sometimes people say, well, the church isn't just a building. The church is the people. And that's a truism, and there's, there's some truth to that. But it's more than that. It's not just a bunch of people getting together. God has established his church with an order, elders and deacons. And here in Titus, we're going to see what he's looking for um, in, uh, in the elders that we have and so that leads us to the second thing that you need from church and that is godly examples to emulate we see this beginning in verse um, six if anyone is above reproach now that seems to be kind of the overarching quality of an elder and as we go through this and as we read it before I'm sure you notice that there's not much said about skills. There is a lot to, uh, that is said about character and the nature of the person. And in general, we would say above reproach. Uh, some translations translate this blameless. Now, I want, I want you to understand, this is not, it, it does not mean perfect and this list is not one that any of us can follow perfectly. It's kind of like Proverbs 31. The Proverbs 31 woman. You know, you all have, you women, any of you been saddled with guilt about how you're not the Proverbs 31 woman? Because, frankly, no one is. Okay, well, no one, if we were to, to follow this list completely not one of us could be an elder none of us would be would qualify but generally we would say we are generally marked by these qualities and the overarching one is without reproach or above reproach or blameless the message um, paraphrase says it this way you need to have a good grip Uh, he needs to have a good grip on himself and have a good grip on the message. I like that. Have a good grip on yourself and a good grip on the message. Now we, we continue in verse 6 where now it talks about being above reproach in the elder's family, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not as open to the uh, and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination, the husband of one wife. now, this is debated as to exactly what this means, but literally it, it 's saying a one woman man. In my family, in my family, I need to be to have sole allegiance to my bride. And not be thinking of other women, not be an adulterer, not be pursuing other women, whether it's uh, actually pursuing a, a woman or through pornography or some other methods. We need to be satisfied with the bride that, that the Lord has given us. As the, as the book of Proverbs says, let the wife of your youth satisfy you. Now, let me just say as an aside here, as we go through this list, is there anything on this list that's only for elders? Or is this not true? Should these things not be true for every one of us? And that's the case. Um, our children are believers, or uh, at least not rebellious. And in particular, now this, this causes some ministers to, to be a little bit um, concerned because Uh, sometimes our children go astray the faith of their father and mother does not become their own faith and so many times you'll see in in the pastorate um, uh, families where the children are, are there they're in the youth group they're doing things but then they go away to college and they may they may walk away does that disqualify a pastor? Well, it, it, I'm sure it just really depends on the initial situation. But I think in particular, what, what we're um, looking at here are in young children as they are in the home under the, the authority and guidance of, of the father, that they're not unruly, that they're not uh, stirring things up, they're not insubordinate Now, in verse 7 and 8, we get into specific qualities of character and conduct that he lists, and I want to go through these quickly. Um, verse 7 gives us five negative uh, traits. In terms of the godly example that, uh, for us to emulate, there are five negative traits he mentions here, and these all are tied into five particular temptations. So let's look at these. In verse 7, he says, they're not arrogant. This points to the the temptation to pride. We all have a temptation. Men especially, I think, are are kind of prone to this. Uh, We want recognition, and and that can easily lead to pride. The next one is not quick-tempered. Many of us struggle with just the temptation of, of anger, uncontrolled uh, rage, being easily angered, inclined to anger, easily provoked into anger, and we need to not be quick-tempered. The next one is not a drunkard. In, in Ephesians, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. When you're drunk, you're controlled by a substance. You're, you're out of self-control, out of spirit control. You're being controlled by that. So I think beyond, when this says not be a drunkard, it's not just simply talking about wine and alcohol, but any substance, any addiction, any kind of thing where we are overcome in a destructive habit, The next one says, not violent. This speaks to the temptation of power. There have been many a a pastor, an elder, who has been derailed when their head is full of the power that they suppose exists in this office. Not a bully. We lead gently. We lead like a shepherd leads. We lead like the great shepherd leads us. Not violent. And finally, not greedy for gain. This is the temptation of money. And sometimes, especially in this age, but it's, it's always existed as we're going to see as we go on in this passage, charlatans can come up and, and have a following after themselves and, and use that following to, to gain riches and wealth. And while it's important that we, that we pay our pastors what they are due, that we do not muzzle the ox, as, as Jesus said, It's also important that the elder himself is not a lover of money and not greedy for gain. So those are the five negatives. Now if we go to verse 8 now, we have six positive traits. First one is hospitable. We sometimes think of hospitality in terms of opening our home and welcoming people in. And yes, it certainly includes that, but it's beyond that. It's a welcoming personality, a welcoming presence, a posture that we welcome anyone, and no one is excluded from the gospel. If a pastor decides he's only going to preach to white people, he's not being hospitable. The gospel is for every race every tribe, every tongue. And so we don't exclude anybody from the preaching of the gospel. Next it goes on to say, he is a lover of good. A lover of good. Not just good, but a lover of the good. Not just doing good things, but loving the right thing. There's a motivation there, there's a, there's a, a passion there for, for things that are good for himself and for other people. Uh, the next one is self-control. I want you to pay attention if you continue to read in the book of Titus this week and just read over how many times Paul mentions the word self-control. We're going to see it many times next week as Jimmy comes and Gets us into chapter 2. Self-controlled, not controlled by your passions, your lusts, your, your uh, idolatries, things that you start to think are more important. There's even some uh, implication here for, a, for sexual decency. All of these things are important in demonstrating self-control. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit we, we read elsewhere. The next description is upright, a person who lives according to God's standards. Not his own standards, not the world's standards, but lives upright according to God's standards. Then we see the word holy. Now it's interesting, this is not the normal word that you see in the Bible for holy, which means apart, being set apart, separate, and so on. But rather this word has the uh, the connotation of, of being devout and pious and pleasing to God. Our practices should be Godward as we look to God, as we as we keep God in the forefront of our of our point of view, and, and God fills it uh, to the fullest. And finally, the last word is discipline, which is also uh, really just a a synonym for self-controlled. Discipline, it means your desires are under control. You're uh, You're not controlled by just whatever you feel like at the moment. All of these traits, both the negative things to avoid and the positive things to do, all of these are commanded of the entire church at some point or another in in the Bible. But in particular, for elders and for leaders in the church, these are important things to have, generally speaking. And what you need from the church is uh, holy and godly examples to follow. Now, the third thing you need from the church is healthy doctrine to cling to. We see this in verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now there's three things here in this verse. First, hold firm to the trustworthy doctrine as taught. The posture should be, I am aligned to the word of God. It means to be devoted to And as it says, the trustworthy doctrine, as taught, it literally means according to the teaching. Now, by this time in the history of the church, there had developed a body of truth so that that Paul could talk about the apostles' teaching. It was an identifiable body of orthodoxy. I'm so glad, I didn't know this was being planned, but I'm so glad Micah put up on the screen for us some of the questions from the New City Catechism. And a catechism is just simply a question and answer of things you ought to know. And, And catechisms and confessions of faith and things of this nature provide for us guardrails so that as we study God's Word, the authoritative Word, we don't get crazy with it okay we don't go out of bounds but the identifiable body of orthodoxy where paul will say in many places the teaching the traditions the things that were handed down to you second 2 thessalonians two fifteen, paul writes so then brothers stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us either by our spoken word or our letter. So for an elder, it's important that they have a devotion and a loyalty to the teaching. Not just to teaching as a skill, but to the teaching, the doctrine, the body of truth that is recognized as as the true faith. The second posture we see here is that it's positively they have to instruct the church in sound doctrine or healthy doctrine. The primary job of the shepherd is to feed the sheep. Now there's a lot of other things too, but it all begins with feeding the sheep. That's why here at at Steadfast Church, we value clear teaching, expository teaching of what the Word says and what it means. That has to come first. Before we can ever talk about, well, what does it mean to me in my life, or what does it mean to you in your life, we have to find out what does it mean. And that's why we go through books of the Bible largely. Why we say what the word of God says. We don't skip parts. It's our goal to preach the whole counsel of God. Too many churches are are all about entertaining stories, practical to-do lists, as Micah said this morning, life hacks. Some of you come to church, that's what you want. Give me a list. Well, Let's give you the word. If I go to a steakhouse, it always amazes me when people go to a steakhouse and order the grilled chicken. (laughs) If I go to a steakhouse, I want steak. And if I go to church, I want Bible. That's what I want. Now the third posture we see here is that negatively there to rebuke those who contradict and as we're going to see there's a lot of negative and false teachers and so part of having a healthy doctrine is that we that we sometimes rebuke those who are in error some people are like well I don't know let's just be nice okay because you know so someone has a different opinion now I'm not talking about secondary issues I'm talking about issues that pertain to the gospel and issues that pertain to the important things the deity of Christ, justification by faith, the authority of Scripture. Those are things that there are false teachers, and I'm not going to be nice. I'm going to be kind. That's a difference. Kindness is speaking the truth, speaking the truth in love in a in a kind manner, but nice would be just yeah, go ahead and do your thing. That's you, I'll do me. Now sometimes I wonder as an elder, when when do I want to name names? And I could. We could name a bunch of names of, of people you ought to avoid. And sometimes Paul tells us to do that in in Romans. uh, He says, mark those and avoid them. But how much better would it be to, to teach discernment of our people? As you learn God's Word, as you know more of God's Word, and you understand the authentic doctrine, the authentic gospel, the more you will be, you will be able to recognize when there is false teaching. Something just won't pass the sniff test. Psalm twenty-three, uh, the Shepherd Psalm, talks about the rod and the staff, two tools of the shepherd, and and sometimes they use the the uh, the crooked staff to kind of guide their sheep kind of move them into the path and keep them on the right path and then other times they use the rod to 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 strike at the wolves and send them away and as uh as a defense and it's a great example of of what shepherds in the church need to do john calvin said a pastor needs two voices one for gathering the sheep and the other for driving away the wolves and thieves the Scripture supplies him with the means for doing both. So what you need from the church is orderly leadership to follow, godly examples to emulate, and healthy doctrine to cling to. Now let's go to our second point in the second paragraph here, and we'll call this why you need the church. Why you need the church. And it's basically because there are false teachers out there. There's false views. There there are things vying for your attention that um, would would draw you away from the true faith. So we see this in verse 10. Uh, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. So why you need the church, first of all, is for discipline of the disorderly. There are people, Paul says, who who are insubordinate, deceivers. It goes on in verse 11, uh, They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. These are disorderly people that come in and divide the flock. Or they don't they not only come in, but sometimes they, they arise up out of. So sometimes the New Testament talks about false teachers coming into the church, and other times false teachers rising up from the church. And you need the reason you need the church is because of their presence. It says they are they are empty talkers, which means they lack any kind of substance that would give spiritual health. They lead astray the people. It says they upset whole families. And that actually may be a reference to the fact that as the churches in those days generally met in homes, they might be upsetting an entire home group. teaching what they ought not to teach. And they do that for shameful gain. They're motivated by money. In the Roman Empire, there were many times philosophers who would go about and they would teach and they would gather up a following after themselves and become quite wealthy doing so. The same thing was happening in the church. Paul goes on to say, uh, verse uh, 12, one of the Cretans... A prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. You know what they told me when I got married? They said, never and always. Use never or always. (laughs) Like, you always. uh, That's not a good thing. But this philosopher who was um, uh, from... Like 500 years before, he'd come up with this saying, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And Paul says, verse 13, this testimony is true. Paul is well aware of the, the cultural context that Titus is in. It's not an easy congregation. It's not an easy people. And Paul is saying okay, you've got these false teachers and they're just going to continue what the people of Crete tend to do anyway. So they need to be disciplined. These are the disorderly. The second reason you need the church is for correcting of the deceived. Uh, Again, verse 13, Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. This is correcting of the deceived. We want our, if, if there are false teachers, Paul says, don't just leave them alone, remove their platform. But it's not just kick them out, it's so that they would become sound in the faith. The message says, so that, so that they may recover a robust faith. This is the idea of church discipline. And if somebody is teaching falsely, we need to confront that person, silence them, so that they can be turned back uh, to the true faith. In verse 14, uh, it mentions not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Now, we don't know exactly what kind of false teaching there was. But this reference to Jewish myths and also earlier in verse 11, uh, verse 10 talking about the circumcision party seems to be that these false teachers were, were of Jewish origin. And the Jewish myths may have had something to do with uh, forbidding things like marriage and certain foods as if those would be the path to godliness and holiness. Paul writes about these things in 1 Timothy, where he says they forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. And he says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. So... There's kind of a false way of living the Christian life that these teachers are presenting, and it's leading people away, as it says here, from the truth, from the truth of the gospel. Now, the gospel, as we said many times, is, is the life of Jesus Christ, who came and fulfilled all righteousness that we could not fulfill Died a sinner's death, even though he was not a sinner himself. Taking the penalty for our sin on himself. So that his righteousness is credited to us. And as we mentioned last week, all you have to do is trust in Christ. There's no works. But this teaching, this teaching is saying, well... You really have to avoid certain foods. You have to give up marriage. Um, We can even see like the the seeds of of, uh, celibacy being being taught here. And the result is that these commands, these, these false teachings, are turning people from the truth so that people are deceived. And we need to correct those. Finally... The third reason you need the church is for silencing of the defiled. Now I'm going I'm not going to cover all of this, but let's go down to verse sixteen. Actually, no, let's let's cover it. At least read it. Uh, verse fifteen, "To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Now, he's kind of answering this, this, uh, this teaching who are saying certain things are not pure. Certain foods are not pure. Certain practices are not pure. And Paul says, okay, look, to those who are pure, everything is pure. But if you're defiled... Everything you touch is defiled. And he says their minds and their consciences are defiled. Verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Well, tell us what you really think, Paul. <laughs> harsh words, harsh words. And if you, if you read through the New Testament, not only Paul, but... Uh, Peter and John, they all write very strong words against false teachers. They need to be silenced. They need to be rebuked. They need to be exposed. Martin Luther said, With the weak sheep, you cannot be too gentle. With the wolves, you cannot be too severe. Why do you need the church? It's for the discipline of the disorderly, the correcting of the deceived, and the exposing of the defiled. There are false teachers out there. I don't think I need to explain it too much to you, but you know, as I'm on social media and different places, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff out there that is Christian, that is cringy. It's awful there you need to be very careful not everything that you see on a christian website is good for you and the 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 antidote to that the antidote is sound doctrine is to understand systematically what the word of god is teaching so be in the word of god sit in church and that, and really that's my conclusion for the day don't neglect the church I've talked to people who were just you know man I'm I'm just I don't even think I'm saved anymore my language is awful I'm into pornography my marriage is on the rocks yada 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 have you been going to church no can't stand church. Been in the Bible? Not really. Well, when you cut yourself off from the means of grace, the things that God has put in place to nurture and grow you, then there's no, no surprise when you die on the vine. So don't neglect the local church. You need it And there are some great reasons why you need it. As Paul said in Timothy, train yourself for godliness. Now to just make a bridge for next week, in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine." And as we're going to see next week, this teaching is very practical. What Paul is saying is, teach the conduct that accords with sound doctrine, that is consistent with the gospel. God is establishing his church. Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. He's building his church. And it begins with godly leadership who are willing to take on the wolves and to feed the sheep. I do hope that as you go throughout your week, I invite you, please, please, please pray for us in this church. Pray for one another. But pray for us elders. We daily feel the burden of shepherding a diverse group like this. And none of us would do it if we didn't feel called to do it. If it was just a job, I don't think, I don't think any of us could last for three years but that calling we can't shake it so we need your prayers we are also praying as this as this church continues to grow and we expect in in the months to come that to continue and to you know to maybe even escalate Um, we need more elders we're praying for more elders God may, we're praying that God may come upon someone and say, you know what? Maybe I need to pursue that. Paul said in Timothy if a man desires to the office of elder or overseer or bishop, uh, whatever the translation might be, he desires a good thing. So it is a good thing. We appreciate you, we appreciate Steadfast Church. In the last year, and I'll just kind of say this to close, in the last year, two churches have merged, and it's been pretty darn smooth. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your church. We thank you that you have not left us alone. As sheep among the wolves, but you've given us leaders. You've given us people to shepherd us. I pray, Father, that you would, uh, you would continue to bless this church. Bless this truth to our, uh, to our minds and to our souls. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not going to go to a time of, of communion. I invite you to the Lord's table. If you are uh, in Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, uh, you are invited to come to the table. If you're not a Christian, this is not for you. We just ask you to remain in your seat. Um, If you are a Christian, this is open to you. You don't have to, but um, we recommend it. It's one of the ways that we remind ourselves of the grace of God on our behalf. And, And so we're going to come. We're going to receive the bread and the cup, and as Jesus told us, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he, said, and he broke it and he said, uh, take this, it is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he, he took the cup and blessed it and said, take and drink, this is my blood which is poured out for you. Uh, I'm going to um, uh, take my seat. We'll take about a minute to, uh, to pray. I want you to pray about uh, confess, come confessing your sins. Come to the table uh, with a, a pure heart and a, and a clean conscience. Confess your sins uh, before God and then come and receive. Uh, when I get up, that'll signal that the tables are open. Uh, so let's, uh, let's come to the table.